It's the final days of six-year no-interest financing at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Upgrade that leaky, squeaky patio door from just $84 a month. Set your free consultation now at 855-PALA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Well, I hope you got through last evening. It was... um, kind of an amazing night now where where i live which is kind of close to the lake we had very little of the activity i mean it was an incredible lightning show and a little bit of rain but none none of the, the high winds none of the power outages we were kind of very fortunate but i was i what happened was we went out to dinner last night came home and was kind of watching the end of the ball game and then i i sort of fell asleep on the couch and i wake up about midnight and and I, you know i i just checked in to see what was going on and all the different stations had weather coverage and by the way we we criticized the the weather guys from time to time for getting stuff wrong or overhyping things and and i do want to say this and i i watched all four of the local channels i was kind of flipping through and i i think all four of the local TV channels did a, a really, really good job of keeping people apprised of where the storms were and where they were not and, and how bad it was going to be. I, I think you know a lot of these meteorologists just worked really hard last night. And they, I think they deserve credit for you know what they ended up doing. So I, I was watching this for about an hour. I was just kind of like glued to the coverage. And then it was pretty clear that at least where I live, we were to the east of where most of the activity was going to be. And so I, I kind of go to sleep about 1 o'clock at night. And then about one thirty, I am awakened by my cell phone going off. And, you know, with the, the big, like, emergency alert thing, because even though I do not live in Milwaukee County, I don't exactly know why, but when they had that tornado warning that they, they put out, um, it was it, it went off on my phone as well, even though, it wasn't in the area where I, I live, at least not in the immediate area. So I, I kind of woke up, turned on the TV and said, OK, well, no, this is the, the activity is not where we are. So kind of rolled over and went back to sleep. But I know a lot of people hopefully got out of bed, went down into the basement and, and sort of hung out. And it's very, very good that we, we didn't have a, a loss of, of life, at least as far as I can tell. I know there was some property damage with some of the, the activity and the high winds and things like that. But. For everybody who thinks that, well, there's too much emphasis on weather coverage and things like that. Look, I, I understand it. I've been doing this job for a long time. But at the same time, when when you want that sort of information, it's important to have it. It's important to get it because one of the reasons historically that you've seen at least a loss of life. You know, there's one thing. There's only so much you can do about property damage. But as far as loss of life, I mean, a lot of times it happens when a tornado or the high winds or whatever uh, blow through in the middle of the night when people are in bed and they're not alert to this stuff and they're asleep and then it, it's too late to get to shelter. So one of the, the I think the real positive things about the media coverage and all the weather warnings and things we have is that, you know, we can really contact people 24-7. And even though it was annoying and jarring to be awakened at 1.30 in the morning by my phone going off, I'm I'm glad it happened because at least 
like I say, even though there wasn't a need for me to get out of bed and take the dog and go into the basement with my wife, I, at least it alerted me, turned on the TV, said, okay, what's going on here? Why are we getting this? Oh, well, there's a tornado warning for not for where I live, but for, you know, I mean, 30, 40 miles away, but that's okay. I would rather be awakened, rather be alert, and get the chance to uh, pay attention. So hopefully, hopefully you were able to get through last night with no significant property damage and certainly um, no loss of life. That was a good thing. And again, I think the meteorologists and everybody that was working to bring us the information deserves credit for a job very, very well done. All right, let us get started. The... Center for Disease Control reversed itself yet again two days ago and said, you know what we told you before, that if you were fully vaccinated, you did not need to wear a mask in indoor and outdoor settings because you're protected. The vaccines work. And by the way, I do believe vaccines work. I think people should get vaccinated. But that was the CDC guidance that intellectually it made sense. If you are vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask in in settings because your chances of getting ill and either getting ill yourself or passing it on to someone else are, are not great. And the statistics that are out there bear that in mind. I mean, I, I went through this yesterday, but but here's the numbers. As of about a week ago, admittedly it's a week ago, 161 million people fully vaccinated. 161 million, 153,000 symptomatic breakthrough cases, 153,000 out of 161 million. That's 0.098% of people who are fully vaccinated. So are there breakthrough cases? Yes, there, there are. Statistically, is there a significant number of them? No, there's not. And then among the... The, the breakthrough cases, what they find is that even if, if you're part of that, you're part of that 153,000, that very, very statistically small number of people who get it again, your chances of having to be hospitalized, well, only 4,072 people as of last week have been hospitalized. So, you know, that, that's talking about dying, about the same odds as dying from a bee sting. It's so, even if you happen to be unlucky enough to get COVID after you've been vaccinated, there is statistically almost no chance that you're going to need it. You're going to get it in such a severe fashion that you're going to have to be hospitalized. So you are, for all intents and purposes, if we are to believe the numbers, you are, in fact, protected. Well, there is the argument that, okay, of those 153,000 people, all right, maybe just maybe if they're going around and they're not wearing masks, they could pass it on to someone else. But there's no numbers right now, at least as far as I know, suggesting how many vaccinated people who were breakthrough cases actually passed it on to someone else. So we, we don't know how often that has, in fact, happened. But regardless, the Center for Disease Control which has been trying to encourage people to get vaccinated, took this position that said, even if you're vaccinated, you nevertheless, in areas where there is a spread of this, you should be wearing masks again, which translates, for example, around here into Milwaukee, Ozaki County, maybe some others. And that's what the guidance has been. And now everybody's wrestling with this. Well, how do we tell people who are fully vaccinated to go wear masks? My argument all along has been, Is there something going on here? Because statistically, if in fact you are vaccinated, 
you are you are protected. At least that's what the overwhelming odds are. And if we're trying to encourage people to get vaccinated, like I believe we should, well, all right, how can you now go back and tell them that even though you're vaccinated, we expect you to go back to wearing masks in the event that you run into somebody who's chosen not to get vaccinated and they might get sick. All right, so that's kind of the background of this. Plus, the CDC looks like flip-floppers. Again, no, you don't need to wear masks. No, you do need to wear masks. Well, I, I don't pretend to know what's going on here, in part because you you don't know what data the CDC is relying on. And, and here's, here's a story in the Washington Post. This is the Washington Post that says this. The headline, CDC reversal on indoor masking prompts experts to act, ask, where's the data? New recommendations from federal health officials this week on when vaccinated Americans should don face masks came with a startling bolt of news. People who just had their shots and became infected with the Delta variant can harbor large amounts of virus just like unvaccinated people. That means they could be spreaders. But the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention did not publish the new research. In a text of the updated guidance, the agency merely said CDC COVID-19 response team unpublished data 2021 many outside scientists have their own message show us the data they're making a claim that people with delta who are vaccinated and unvaccinated had have similar levels of viral load but nobody knows what that means says somebody from yale public health it's meaningless unless we see the data the cdc director says there's new scientific data but didn't provide any details about what the research was all right our number 855-616-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line if the cdc is going to reverse itself and try to convince us that we have been told that you know you you get the vaccines you are protected from this if now the thing is going to be you've got the vaccine but nevertheless you can still get the delta variant and, of course, we're, we're told that the Delta variant, even if you get the vaccine, the Delta variant is supposed to protect you from the Delta variant. Um, but if if there's new data out there that suggests either that the vaccines don't work, which is one reasonable conclusion, I hope it's not right, but it's a reasonable conclusion that comes from the recommendation that you, you've got to go back to wearing masks, or alternatively, that even if it works, you can still nevertheless get it and have as much of a viral load as if you're not vaccinated. If there's data out there, shouldn't the CDC be sharing it with us? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, to me, this is, this is the starting point. Part of the problem I think we have had from the beginning is the fact there's misinformation out there. There's a lack of candor that is out there. And if the CDC is going to reverse itself, I think they have an obligation to right away say, this is this is the information we have. And, and what they're, they're saying now is, well, we, we've looked at a couple studies and there's a study from uh, another country. And if you go on Twitter, people are speculating that the country they're looking at isn't even one that uses the same vaccines that we use. I don't know about that, but nobody does. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Given all the skepticism that is out there, particularly among the people who are unvaccinated at this point, if the CDC is going to change course, shouldn't they be up front 
produce the data, say this is what we are relying on instead of trust us. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I sure think so. We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's a couple of texts to start us out. Jeff, the fact that anybody listens to the CDC recommendations anymore are incredible. Does anybody not truly believe that they said this right before school starts? It's a way for the school boards across the country to not be looked at in a, as the bad guy when they tell everybody to put their masks on in the fall. Also, I'm fully vaccinated, and the people who aren't fully vaccinated or chosen with their own free will not to, after it's been vi- widely available, I think it's on them if they get sick. Why should I have to be muzzled for doing the right thing? Well, that that's part of the issue. But, I mean, I, I think there are legitimate questions that, that are, are out there. If we're being told that the vaccines are effective, and, and that's still what we're being told, and that's what I, I believe. Well, if we're being told that the vaccines are effective, all right, then, then why why do you need to put masks on? It's either because we're being lied to and put when the vaccines aren't as effective or or that the Delta variant isn't working with them or we can become, you know, very, very we can still pass it on. And, and if that's the case, that's well and good. But where are the studies? Where are the numbers? Show us the data. Another texter makes the point that, you know, if the CDC wants to try to convince people of this and explain their latest flip flop, what they should do is that they should be upfront about it, not just do it in a phone call, have a press conference, answer these questions. You know, where is the data? What is the study? We've been told for a year plus to follow the science. Okay. Well, if you want to inspire confidence, what you have to do is you have to demonstrate, you have to show the science, show the studies, show the numbers. What are you afraid of? And, you know, put it all out there because otherwise it does lead to people speculating, well, what, we've been told to get vaccinated, but maybe this stuff doesn't work. Have we been lied to in that regard? Is it just a political ploy to give school boards credit? I I don't know any of that. But a lot of that would go out the window if you would share the data, say this is the studies we're relying on, and we're confident in them. One of the reasons you would do this without sharing the data is because you recognize that maybe if you do that, people are going to poke holes in it. 855. 616-1620, Lamar in Orlando. Hi, Lamar. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, rem- remember when Johnson & Johnson had what was it, seven people that had blood clots, uh, right. and, and I think there was some de- maybe a death out of like 7 million va- right. you know, vaccinations, and people freaked out about that, you know, because the, the, you know, they were upfront about that information, but yet people still thought, you know, the CDC, they, they erred on the side of caution. They recommended that the vaccine be, you know, pulled. I think that that's what they're doing because people aren't getting vaccinated because, you know, this Delta variant is still up in the air. We're watching again, watching this science play out publicly, you know, and the, you know, the scientific method, you know, there are trials and errors. There are, they, they do make mistakes. They do have to reverse decisions. And I think that we're all watching this and everyone's going to draw their own conclusion anyways. But I think that the CDC is just erring on the side of caution. And I well, don't think that more information is going to make us, Make better decisions. That's my opinion. Well, I mean, Lamar, th- thanks. For, no, I see. I, I, I don't think more information is going to make us make better decisions. No, I, I'm sorry, Paul. I'm, I'm not with you on that one. I mean, look, if you're going to, and I, look, I understand the science changes. I, I get it, which is one of the reasons why I get in the beginning of this. They said you don't need to wear masks. 
okay, that, that's, that's all well and good. And then, you know, two months later, they start to get the data and they find this is airborne transmitted. Okay. I, 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 I understand that. And, you know, and then, you know, we had all the recommendations that we got to wipe stuff down. And, you know, now we know that, that that's not how COVID is transmitted. So, you know, they were wrong in that. that that's okay. I, I understand this. But if you're going to make a major reversal, I don't think, given the fact that the CDC has been wrong on a lot of things, and, and maybe you, you can say that the science is, is, is changing, if you're going to make a yet another mid-course reversal, I think you have a duty to come out and say why it is that you're doing it, not just that, well, we, we've got some undefined study somewhere, and we're not going to show you the data, and we're not going to tell you about it, but we expect you to trust us now that what we were telling you two months ago is apparently wrong. And I guess I don't know what they are hiding, if they are hiding anything. I, I just I, I don't know. But given the fact that there is incredible vaccine hesitancy that's out there anyways, by reversing yourself without giving an underlying reason other than, you know, trust us. You do nothing, I, I think, to inspire people to want to follow it. Plus, you make a lot of us who have gotten vaccinated and who believe vaccinations are the way out of this now start to wonder, okay, is there something else, you know, going on? Is it, is it possible? That, that maybe this data shows that the vaccinations don't protect you as much as we're being told from the Delta variant. Now, I don't believe that's to be the case, and I sure hope it's not the case, but but these are all the different variables that are out there. The numbers that have been made public suggest that if you are fully vaccinated, your chances of getting this are very, very remote. So... All right, why then do we say to 161 million people that, that you need to go back to wearing masks? I mean, because that's a pretty drastic change, regardless of how you feel. Do you feel masks are an imposition or not? That's a whole other story. But, you know, given given the numbers and given the relatively small numbers who have had the breakthrough infections to make a major reversal like this, without sharing the data and explaining what has suddenly changed over the last two months, I think that they hurt their cause. And it's one of the reasons why, again, for people who are skeptical of the CDC, it, it, it's tough to believe them. And I understand I'm getting all sorts of texts from people who, again, think this is political and think it's the Biden White House, you know, and, and, and Biden's trying to look for some explanation as to, you know, why he, he failed to get people vaccinated in sufficient quantities. And I don't hold him responsible for that. But um, if, if the CDC is going to have credibility, it needs to show what what it is relying on. And every hour that it fails to do that, I think it breeds more and more skepticism and more and more maybe just kind of hostility and wonder about whether people really do they really know what they're doing or are we just changing things at a political whim? Hope it's not the case. I'd like to see him come out right away and say, this is why we made the change. These are the studies. We're willing to defend them. Boom. We're going to move on. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Just one final thought. Here's a text I got. Jeff, the Delta variant changed the science. You sound like a typical conservative. Science, I don't get what you're saying about the reversal of the CDC. Science keeps changing. To which my point is, okay, 
the CDC should show the numbers that it has demonstrating that the science has changed. And, and and what exactly those numbers mean? Does it mean that the vaccines that we have been getting are not as effective against the Delta variant as we've been told? I mean, is 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 that what they're saying? Does it mean that you can even if you you get the Delta variant and don't get sick, you're still likely to be a spreader? Uh, just show the data, and, and to the people that that just want to blindly be sheep and follow whatever recommendation that science, whoever science is, says. I, I mean, my question would be, you know, do do we give up our right to ask legitimate questions? And again, I think if you're going to make a major revolution, Reversal of a policy that you just announced what, two months ago and you do it without sharing the information that this was based on and leaving that out to public scrutiny, I, I think it invites all sorts of questions. What's wrong with saying provide the data, show what you are basing your recommendation on and then be able to defend it? Because let's face it, there's a lot of junk science that's out there. What data are they relying on? Is there one, for example, is there, you know, one vaccine that doesn't do as well as other vaccines do in fighting the Delta variant? What, what, it, why are we afraid to tell people that? Again, it seems to me it's pretty clear that, you know, just, just share the information. Be transparent and then defend it. If you say, okay, we've got this study that was done such and such, then at least you leave it out there and people can say, all right, well, let's compare. Is this comparing apples to apples or is it apples to oranges? Look, there's a lot of distrust that's out there right now. And it's not just Republicans and Democrats. I always get frustrated with this because people will say, oh, it's, it's just somebody actually said that to me this morning. It's, 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 it's these Republicans who, who reject this. If you, if you look at the numbers, now people need to get out of their political shells here. If you look at, at where vaccination rates are, are the, the people who are choosing not to get vaccinated, well, it's, it's young people. You know, who, who I don't know that have a political affiliation one way or the other, but if they do have a political affiliation, my guess is they tend to be more Democrat leaning than Republican leaning. People under the age of 30 are making this decision for whatever reason that they're not going to get vaccinated. If you look at, um, various groups, have, you know, the, the rate of vaccinations among members of certain minority groups, particularly in urban areas, blacks, Latinos, etc., dramatically lags the vaccination rates of whites. My guess is that if you would look at the political makeup, if you choose to do that, a lot of those groups, it, it, it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily a Republican-leaning group. So this idea, and I understand that there's some people who just want to perpetuate this, oh, that the reason we don't have a 70% vaccination rate is because of the Republicans. No, it, it's a lot more complex than that. And the truth is, a lot of this transcends political lines. And, of course, it's just easier to make the argument that it's all about politics than to grapple with why is it that people are choosing not to get vaccinated. But if, if the CDC is going to reach out and make people want to get vaccinated or encouraging them to do that, well, okay, again, be transparent. Show people the numbers, show them the data, and then stand by that data. Science. Well, there's lots of junk science that, that's out there, and I think the CDC has reversed itself so many times that it is incumbent on them, if they're going to change the recommendations, to show us what the information is that they are basing that change on. Period. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Mm-hmm. 
In about 20 minutes, we're scheduled to be joined by Congressman Glenn Grothman. We're going to talk about issues at the border, issues with the CDC, issues in general. Stick around for that. There was some news this morning, some sad news, that made me think about a song that I have not thought about in years and years. It's, it's by the late, great Steve Goodman. Here, here's, here, here's the song I was thinking of. Fell asleep last night with the TV on Oh, what a dream I had Dreamed I went and answered every single one of those late night mail order ads And four to six weeks later, much to my surprise The mailman came to my front door and I couldn't believe my eyes When he brought the Vegematic and the pocket fisherman too Illuminated, illustrated history of life Boxcar Willie with a Ginsu knife A bamboo steamer And a garden weasel too And a tie-dye day glow souvenir shirt From Six Flags over Burbank That song's called Vegematic by, like I say, the late, great Steve Goodman. And, and the reason it came to mind today, and this is... This is somebody that if you are below a certain age, you, you have probably no frame of reference at all. But Ron Popeil, Ron Popeil was the guy who really popularized those late night infomercials. Ron Ron Popeil was a marketer and in part like P.T. Barnum showman, and he was an inventor. He was the guy behind like the, the Vegematic that is named that song is named after uh, the pasta maker, the food dehydrator, the um, Showtime food dehydrator, set it and forget it, rotisserie. Um, what he would do, avid fisherman, you know, he was the pocket fisherman guy. And what would happen is he would he would buy ads on, on television, like the, the late night infomercials. He he's the guy that popularized this, and it, it's kind of like. If you go out to State Fair, by the way, State Fair starts a week from today. And, you know, you walk through the stuff barn and you see all the people selling the stuff. Like there's the guy that they're selling the blenders and they take, you know, two eggs and a turnip and a couple pieces of parsley. And they put them all together and they turn them into a strawberry milkshake. And you watch that and you go, boy, I'd love to do that. And then you buy it and you get it home and you can't figure out how to work it. Or, you know, the guys that have got like those choppers and the slicers and dicers. Well, Ron Popeil started all that and he did these late night ads and he made just an absolute fortune because people would see these ads and they'd say boy that's really really cool and it's not like nowadays where you can go on the internet and you just click on Amazon or whatever and you order them and it shows up the next day what you'd have to do is you'd have to call the number and you'd have to give them your credit card and you'd have to order it and then four to six weeks later just like the song says the stuff would show up at your door and then you'd sit there and you'd look at it and go hmm why was it that I ordered this four to six weeks later, and why was it that I had to have it? Um, his his trademark expression that really became iconic was, wait, 
There's more. If you order before 12 o'clock today, if you order before midnight tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to send you a second one of these, and then we're going to throw in this, and then we're going to throw in that. He revolutionized marketing in a way that I don't think has done been done before or since. And and Ron Popeil was, well, the phrase would be ubiquitous. He was absolutely all over. I bring this up because he passed away. Age of 86, um, suddenly died apparently in Los Angeles. But this was a guy who could sell anything. I I mean, he could sell you ice in February when it's 20 degrees below zero. He was just able to do that. He could sell you heaters if it's 95 degrees outside. He was just an incredible marketer. And my guess is... Again, if you are of a certain age, you remember Ron Popeil. And, but wait, there, there's more. And, and maybe you're one of those people, I admit I am, that you bought this thing that you saw at 2.30 in the morning on TV, and then it shows up, and you just can't figure out how to make it work, all that kind of stuff. But State Fair starts next week, and whenever you go into the stuff barn and you see the guys that are hawking all the different things, well, they they owe at least part of their legacy to Ron Popeil and the late-night Late night infomercials. And um, if you like that song I played, it's called Vegematic by Steve Goodman. It's available on YouTube. Okay. We played the Aaron Rodgers press conference yesterday, and we, we, we took calls on it. And I think that the general consensus was that some people who previously were kind of doubting about Aaron Rodgers were willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and thought that he had, like, legitimate concerns and, and things like that. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. In order to make Aaron Rodgers happy, the Green Bay Packers have gone out and they have traded for Randall Cobb, who is a very close friend of Aaron Rodgers. They go to the Kentucky Derby every year. They played together for a number of years. After the 2018 season, the Packers made the decision to let Randall Cobb go. He was 28 years old. That year, he'd had kind of a down year. He caught 38 passes for 383 yards, two touchdowns, had injuries that limited him to only nine games. The Packers kind of looked at this and said, hey, he's going to cost us a lot of money, and we think he's kind of on the downside of his career, so we're going to let him go. So they ended up letting him go. He went to um, Dallas. Uh, the Cowboys and the Texans, you know, played okay in 2019. Not great, but, but okay. And then dropped, his performance dropped dramatically in, in 2020. He turns 31 at the end of this month. His 10-year career, as the Journal Sentinel describes, is, quote, littered with lower body injuries, including a toe injury last year. So he's clearly a player that's on I think it would be fair to say, on, on the downside of his, his career, which takes nothing away from his greatness as a player, but he, he's clearly on the downside of his career. His big claim to fame, though, is he had success years ago, and he's a very, very good friend of Aaron Rodgers. So it appears, I think it's fair to say, that um, this this decision is something that they're doing taking on, I think, $5 million of his $8 million contract, they're doing it to, to appease Aaron Rodgers. Okay, we'll, we'll bring in one of your friends here. That shows that we're, we're, we're listening to you. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does this set a bad precedent 
to allow a player, even a great player like Aaron Rodgers, to essentially have says in who goes and, and, and who stays, you know, who you bring in and I don't know who's going to play and who's not going to play. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I hope Randall Cobb goes on I and, and have a great year. And I get the idea. He, he's Aaron Rodgers' friend. He's a positive influence in, in the locker room. But at the same time, all right, can can a, can any organization, whether it's it's a Fortune 500 company or a football team or a radio station or whatever – can you allow a performer, one of the, you know, one of the players, one of the, the guys, in this case, is star quarterback, but can you allow them to dictate a personnel decisions? 855-616-1620. I think you could make a strong argument that the Packers made the correct decision in, in letting Randall Cobb go a- at the time. He was due for a big raise. He was you know, somewhat injury prone. Yeah, yes, he's still able to perform, but he, he's going to be 31 year, years old. I think you can make a strong argument that it was the right thing to do to, to let him go. Might have hacked Aaron Rodgers off because he was one of his friends, and maybe Aaron Rodgers thought we could stretch a little more out of him. But who gets to make those calls? And do you set a bad precedent when you allow players to do that? And if Aaron Rodgers can do this, okay, well, what about what about Devontae Adams? You know, what about David Bakhtiari? What about some of the other stars that are out there? Do you now have to do what they want you to do in order to appease them? 855-616-1620. And how does an organization survive if if you allow the members to essentially dictate the decisions that management makes? We discuss. Look, I think it's apparent that the Packers organization has what we'll describe as communication problems, and especially when you've got an incredibly successful, talented guy like Aaron Rodgers, who is, let's face it, a prima donna. <laughs> let's face it, that's, I, I think, a fair way to describe it. You know, Maybe you have to, you know, the care and handling of the prima donna is different than sort of an average player. And I understand you want to take his input, but when you... What, what sort of message does it send when you say, okay, well, you know, he, he wants one of his buddies back, and so here we're, we're, we're going to do that. Um, one of my texts says, Jeff, they got Cobb for a sixth-round draft choice. That says a lot about his value. Well, I don't know. But but plus, Houston is paying $3 million, $8 million contract, so Houston is paying the Packers $3 million to have Cobb play against them. But, I, look, I hope he goes on and has a, has a great season. I'm just – I'm wondering from an organizational standpoint, do things like this come back – to haunt you. Vincent on the northwest side. Hi, Vincent. Good afternoon, Jeff. You know, uh, I don't mind that Roger ha- has a seat at the table when it comes to decisions about uh, players on this team. The fact is, last year, uh, Tom Brady uh, convinced uh, Tampa Bay to bring uh, uh, Gronk out of retirement to help him win a Super Bowl. And I'm sure uh, Giannis had, has, has influence over the Bucks as far as, as having his brother play on this particular uh, on, on the team. So, so I, I'm sure players. This is the first time players have have have, have asked for a, a, a seat at the table. So I'm not. I don't have a problem about that. But I, I don't think Randall Cobb. I think is a problem. I don't think that that was a great move that they made. But the fact is, is that just because uh, uh, Rogers wants to seat at the table, I don't think that's an issue. So. How do you say no to him? So let's say it's Randall Cobb today, and 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 tomorrow it's you know, I, I was I was talking to my buddy Jordy Nelson. I know he's been out of football for a year or two, but I I think he'd be a great locker room guy. I think we need to bring him back. Um, 
have you set a precedent that you have to you know say yes to him or else he's going to be unhappy? No, well, no, I don't think you set a precedent. I think uh, the Bucks organization probably weighs weighs the uh, uh, the issue of, of, of bringing right. back Cobb. That, uh, like you said, about his finances and stuff like that. But the fact is, is that when you talk about bringing back individuals who who definitely do can't contribute to this team, and and if he wants him back just because he's their buddy. I think the organization can, can say no to him. But I think, yeah, he should have a seat at the table when he wants to try to make this team better. I think he, he should be able to do that. Okay. Now, does that mean, is that the Aaron Rodgers rule? Or let's look at some of the other stars the Packers have. Devontae Adams, David Bakhtiari, um, you know, a couple of the other players. If Do, do, they, do they get a seat at the table, too? <laughs> Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is the man. I'm uh, talking about he's the MVP. Okay. He's the MVP of the league. Uh, uh, so, so, so no, I don't. I don't think they have the oh. same cachet as he does when it comes to that. No, because uh, I think because of his record. Okay. So, All right. Uh, no, fair, uh, no. fair enough. No, th- thanks to call, Vincent, and I and I get that. But okay, so it it's it's there's the Aaron Rodgers rule and then there's the rule for everybody else okay Devontae Adams you're you're all pro and things like that and you know you're one of the best Packers receivers in history but no you don't get the seat in the table and David Bakhtiari you're all pro and you know we're paying you a lot I'm just I'm see just I mean think this through I mean we're where is the line? What sort of problems do you have? Now you're the general manager or you're the president, and, and you have Bakhtiari who comes to you and says, hey, I, I can't believe we let Brian Balaga go. I want him back. Uh, you know, is, is it the Rodgers rule? And, and how does that work out when you've got a, a team of 53 players? Back with more in just a minute. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. We are joined now by Congressman Glenn Grothman. Glenn represents the 6th Congressional District. And and for, for people who don't know, it's it's an interestingly shaped district. It, it runs along the lake from, like, Gozaki County up through Sheboygan and Manitowoc and then goes across and includes, like, Fond du Lac and good chunks of... Um, I believe Washington County as well. And then it, it goes north up to Watoma, Green Lake. So he's got a very, very broad district. And we're now joined by Congressman Grothman. Congressman, good afternoon. Glad to be on show live from the House Republican cloakroom here. Okay. As we're between votes. so Outstanding. Oh, well, okay. You're in the House Republican cloakroom now, but not that long ago, you were down at the border. Um, let's. Can you tell me a little bit about your trip? I think it's the most important issue facing America today. First of all, you get different numbers out there, but the number of people crossing the border in the last month, they made figures available with 70,000 people who we don't necessarily want here in May. A year ago, it was about 6,000. I was down in the Rio Grande sector, and there are nine sectors of the border. That is the busiest sector there is, and we watched people coming across the Rio Grande. It was pretty much a constant thing. The the boats, of course, across are run by the drug cartels. They pick up people on the Mexican side. They bring them to the American side. It's about a three-mile path to the local check-in at the Border Patrol. Given COVID protections for a family to come in, you have to have a a child who's seven and under or an unaccompanied minor will be let in as well. The Border Patrol processes you 
some people don't even have IDs. They all claim they need asylum. They ship them to the local airport, McClellan Airport, and then they fly them all over the country to wherever they want to go. Um, interesting where people are coming from. Last time I was down there in the San Diego sector, Brazilians, Russians, uh, Mexicans seem to predominate. On the other side of our, on the other end of our border, more Hondurans, uh, Nicaraguans, Guatemalans. Because of the current policy, they all know they'll let in. Right, now, and they get that far. now, let me stop you for a second, because one of the things you said in the beginning was you thought that at least a, a portion of the people that were coming across when you were observing this were, were being sent over by, like, some of the drug cartels. Um, well, there, what, what, they, what's some of the evidence oh, that might – okay, what, what's the basis of that? Well, they all tell us it. I mean, the, the drug cartels will not allow you to cross the border unless you give them money. And it varies, 3000 5000 less if you're a Mexican, more if you're a Central American, more if you want a better trip, a better boat across. Um, if you're in an area in which it's not the Rio Grande, you still have board, uh, drug cartel people in the mountains watching who comes across. And an anecdote I've heard several times, when some people not member of the cartels tried to sneak people across in Arizona, they found three of them. Two were skinned alive. The other was partially skinned and sent back, telling people this is what happens if you try to sneak somebody across without our approval. Okay. And it's so organized, the people coming across they have wristbands, like you get at the state fair, okay? And different colors depending upon what quality of trip you have and which cartel is the one in charge of getting you across. You know, Congressman, one of, well, one of the things that I, I noticed in, when when I was looking at some of the stuff you were talking about is the 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 large amount of fentanyl that that's already being seized by the by the border patrol, which would tend to indicate that at least some of the people that are coming over are, are trying to to smuggle um, the the very very poisonous you know fentanyl into this country. Absolutely, and so your listeners know we recently in this country hit a new high, 90,000 people dying in one year in this country from illegal drug overdoses. By comparison, when I first got this job six years ago, that number was 45,000. So in that time, despite all the money we've thrown in fighting drugs, up from 45 to 90,000, largely because fentanyl is much more dangerous than heroin. I always thought heroin was the gold standard for dangerous drugs. Fentanyl is much more dangerous Sometimes the cartels sneak across the fentanyl themselves. Sometimes that's the way people pay their way across. They agree to sneak the fentanyl across. If the Border Patrol stops one of these boats coming across, be it uh, sneaking people across or sneaking drugs across, the drug cartels are not beyond taking a little child and throwing them in the Rio Grande. Why would they take a little child and throw them in the Rio Grande? Because America is a compassionate country. And our Border Patrol agents forced to choose between gangs, maybe sneaking across fentanyl or sneaking across people, or saving a three- or four-year-old child will save the three- or four-year-old child. So that just gives you an idea of the brutality of the type of people we're dealing with. So what do we, what do we need to do? Like if, if we can all understand and agree and stipulate that it's a problem, that it is a problem that has gotten worse over the last several months, if you just look at the raw numbers, what, what needs to happen? Is there anything that we can do to stop this? Well, yes, because we stopped it before. You know, 
we're now, now over 70,000. We used to be at 6,000. Previously, we had an agreement with Mexico that uh, President Biden got rid of, saying Mexico would hold people on the southern border who wanted asylum. And as long as Mexico held people on the southern border pending a hearing, people weren't coming up here because they had no chance of getting in the country. Secondly, we had an agreement with Central American countries in which they would hold asylum seekers. After all, if you claim you're in danger in Venezuela, you don't have to come to the United States. You can come to Nicaragua and, uh, and remain out of trouble. So these two agreements were all it took. The third thing, and this is a very important thing that's going to come up soon, under Title 42, the Trump administration was holding people south of the border for fear they would bring COVID in the country. President Biden has shifted that to saying unaccompanied minors can come here, as well as families with people under seven. There are rumors, and maybe with this new variant, the rumors will not come true, that the Biden administration was even going to get rid of those restrictions and let everybody in the country due to the COVID. Now, given how concerned, some would say overly concerned, but given how concerned the Biden administration is on the COVID, you would think they would be trying to keep people south of the border. But we are afraid that they are going to open it up to everybody. By the way, when we were down there, we were told the Border Patrol does not check everyone for the COVID. They will only check people that are at least 99 or 99.5 degree temperature. They then give them to a non-governmental organization, frequently uh, Catholic Social Services, who will hold the uh, hold the folks in a motel. But because it's not secure, they leave. So, and Catholic Social Services will test them for the COVID. But if they have the COVID, it's not like there's any way to hold people in a hotel. So they, as a practical matter, at least when I was down there, were being released into the United States with the COVID, which is kind of amazing as well. Congressman, before I let you go to go back to, to vote, let me let, let me ask you about something that's a new development. Um, the CDC a day or two ago changed its its recommendations with regarding with regard to masks. My understanding is that for people like yourselves, members of the House of Representatives, you are under orders and directions to wear a, a mask. If you don't, you're you're subject to be reported to the sergeant at arms. What's going on here? What do you think about the new mask requirements? What do you think about the CDC's position on masks and the change in the last couple of days? Well, we are we have to wear masks in the in the house. Some of our members are not wearing it anyway and just daring them to give them fines. I wear the mask. They are not putting it as an order in the Senate. Um, and to be honest, I've heard congressmen give press conferences out there and send out press releases on how horrible it is that we have to wear masks. I look at the issue as a distraction from the issue that will destroy the United States of America, and that is the border. I do believe the Biden administration is do all they can to take their eye off of the sea of people they are letting in here. And that, like I said, will destroy America as as we know it, that you and I grew up in. So that's kind of my, my story on the man. Good enough. Congressman Grothman, go back and cast some more votes. Thank you very much for your time. We'll talk to you soon. 
Thank you much, Jeffrey. Uh, take care. That's uh, Congressman Glenn Grothman, um, represents the 6th District. We, we've talked about this story before. Glenn and I have known each other for a long time. He was on the Homestead High School debate team at the same time I was on the Nicolay High School debate team in a another life. And he's... Uh, He's carved out quite an interesting career and a quite a very successful career in in politics, and it's always a good interview. And he was uh, very fired up about stuff going on at the border and feels it's a very, very undercovered story. So I'm glad to have him on for the opportunity of discussing some things. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Hey, an update to something we told you about yesterday. Bob Odenkirk, and maybe maybe the name doesn't mean anything to you, but if you are a fan of, of, of TV and episodic TV and, and you remember Breaking Bad, Bob Odenkirk, was, he created the, the incredible character of, of Saul Goodman, who was kind of the, the crooked attorney that debuted in the second season of Breaking Bad. And then after Breaking Bad ended, they, they came up with an idea to keep this character, who was incredibly popular, alive, and they created a show called Better Call Saul, which debuted in 2015. And it's a pre Equal to Breaking Bad, and it shows how the Odenkirk character changed from, you know, a, a fresh-faced kid who just got out of law school to, you know, the, the the Saul Goodman character that appeared on Breaking Bad. And there's been a number of crossovers. It's been a very, very successful series. They are filming, in the process of filming the sixth and final season of that now. It was scheduled to debut sometime early part of next year. It's a 13-episode series finale. And um, what happened two days ago, I guess, is on the set in Albuquerque, Bob Odenkirk, who plays the title character Saul Goodman, he uh, he collapsed, was rushed to the hospital, and at first there, there wasn't much information about it. Now it's starting to emerge. He's apparently in the hospital, but the in what they say is stable condition, after suffering what they say was a heart-related incident. So um, I, I know this caught a lot of people by surprise. He's 58 years old, and, you know, 58 years old is awful young to be having some of those things but in any event um you know um, both the the odenkirk people and people around him and people uh, amc is the one that produces the show you know they're all saying well they they don't know what the timetable is but that he, he is in stable condition and they expect some degree of recovery but we talked about it a little bit yesterday so for everybody who was Wondering, you know, what, what's going on with that? That's the deal. Does this delay the production of the series? And does it mean that, you know, who, who knows when the, the new, the final season will debut? You would think that the obvious answer is yes. But, I mean, no, nobody knows for sure what that's going to be. But Bob Odenkirk is apparently in the hospital. He's a heart-related incident, but he is in stable condition. That the, the bad news that came out yesterday is um, Dusty Hill. Now, you might not know that the name Dusty Hill when I say it, but if you think of the band ZZ Top, and you know, ZZ Top, the, the, the joke is, it's the same three guys, it's the same three chords, they've been playing together since the 1960s. Dusty Hill is one of the three members of ZZ Top, and he's one of the two guys, together with Billy Gibbons, he's the, the bass player. He's one of the guys that has the, the, the long beard. The, the drummer, who's interestingly, his last name is Beard, he doesn't have the beard, but the other two guys have the real long signature beards. Dusty Hill is the bass player, and uh, Dusty Hill passed away at the age of 70. 
too. Um, you know, he was um, incredibly successful. Um, you know, they, they've been playing together, ZZ Top, for, well, you know, 40 plus years. They started in the 60s and, you know, continue to be a, just a huge cultural, a cultural success and racked up dozens of hit records and packed arenas every year and um, a, a very close knit band. I mean, it's amazing when you think about all the, the egos that go on in, in show business or athletics or things of the like. The fact that you had these same three guys that stayed together and I think, pretty much liked each other through you know most of that time it uh it's an it's amazing career longevity but dusty hill who again is one of the three members of zz top he passed away at the age of 72 and um if you've ever seen zz top in in concert you know they just put on a, a tremendous show and by all accounts he was a, a very not just a great musician but a really pretty nice guy passed away at the age of 72 sail on dusty hill back with more in just a minute Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Saturday, July 31st marks, well, an interesting day. And it's going to be curious to see whether it is the apocalypse that that some are predicting. Since the the start of the pandemic, what you had is the the government stepped in and the, the CDC, with the blessing of local governments and with the Biden administration, have imposed a moratorium on landlords from being able to evict people for non-payment of, of rent. And, of course, that, that's been continued on multiple occasions. There's a number of federal courts which have found that these, these government orders to private parties like landlords preventing them from being able to evict people who, who don't pay, that, that that's, those are illegal, that the government doesn't have the authority to do it. But because the government has said, okay, we're, this, the latest moratorium expires on July 31st, the courts have allowed the moratorium to continue with the understanding that it's going to end now on Saturday. So the question becomes, okay, what's, what's going to happen? that you have a lot of people who have been able to stay in their homes since March of 2020. Think about that. Almost a year and a half without having to pay their rent. Um, In New York alone, they estimate that there's about 500,000 people who have not paid rent. I'm not saying that they all owe 16 months worth of back rent, but they haven't paid at least a portion of their rent for the last, you know, year and a half. And now they're in a situation where they're they're due to be evicted if they don't either come up with the dough that they owe or make arrangements in some sort of payment plan. Well, there's already folks that are kind of agitating about, well, we, we can't let this happen. This is going to cause this foreclosure crisis, and, and you know, where are people going to go? Which is a legitimate concern, I guess. But the question becomes, with, with all the different financial assistance that we have provided people over the course of the last 16 months, you know, what does it say if you have people who really haven't made arrangements to, you know, pay their rent or pay what's owed them? And how long can you let people have a free lunch? And as we've talked about before on this program, you have to understand for people who own rental properties, it's in most cases, it's a it's a choice of investments. You have money. You have to decide, do I want to put it in the bank? Do I want to put it in the stock market? Do I want to buy Bitcoin futures? Do I want to invest in real estate? 
All right. And people make that decision to invest in. Some people decide I'm going to put my money in real estate. Okay, that that's an investment choice they make. But they put their money in like that four family. Okay, so they're renting pe- place to people uh, residences. Well, what happens is they they need they need that rent. Because if they don't get that rent, they can't make their mortgage payments. They can't make their utility payments. They they are depending on the rent coming in to make their tax payments and things of the like. Plus, they've invested in real estate. It is an investment. And if they don't get a return on their investment, well, it doesn't make any sense for people to invest in, in real estate to provide people a place to live. So I don't know how bad this is going to be. But the free lunch is now over, and so people who have gone for the last year and a half without paying rent, well, now they're going to have to figure out a way to do it. I think there's probably going to be a lot of people that are going to be on the street, and on the one hand, that's unfortunate, but secondly, you can't expect landlords to carry people month after month after month after month after month without getting any sort of rent. It's an unfortunate situation, but it's something I think that shouldn't have been allowed to happen, and it shouldn't have been allowed to go on as long as it did. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, as I have said repeatedly, I'm a believer in vaccinations. Made the decision as soon as soon as I could get a vaccination, I, I got a vaccination, and I've, I've never looked back. Matter of fact, I believe vaccinations work, which is one of the reasons why I think what the CDC is doing now is so incredibly counterproductive. Because by saying, well, even fully vaccinated people need to wear masks and things like that, I think you are implicitly sending a message that maybe you don't think the vaccines work. Um, or it don't work as well as advertised, which I think is it's a bad thing because I want to encourage people to get vaccinated. Well, it's one thing to encourage people to get vaccinated. It's another thing to require people to get vaccinated. Now, a number of health organizations locally, statewide and across the country have taken a position that in order to work for them, vaccines are mandatory and this this is a follow-up to what happened with with flu shots and you know there's a there's a lot of for example in our area there's a number of of health providers that say hey if you want to work here you know you have to get the flu shot and unless you have a, a medical or religious excuse for doing that otherwise absent that you've got to get the flu shot a number of providers health providers are doing exactly that when it comes to um, when it comes to the COVID shot, they're saying if you want to work here, you have to do this. Otherwise, you're going to be let go from your job. So it's putting people who are in the position of not wanting to get the vaccine for various reasons beyond a documentable health reason or beyond a, um, a religious objection. It's putting them in a position of having to choose between their job and between getting the shot. All right. It is one thing to do that in the context of, of health care. Because you can make the argument that, hey, if you don't get the vaccine, you're more likely to be sick. You're going to come into contact with people who maybe are vulnerable or maybe they're not vaccinated. And, and maybe there's a, a stronger likelihood that you could be asymptomatic and you could pass it on. Okay, that that's the, the health care area. But that's not where we are right now. Today, the uh, president is going to be announcing a new vaccination mandate, mandate for public employees. The rule is going to require, 
workers, all workers, regardless of whether you're in health care or whether you're a, a bureaucrat that sits in a desk somewhere, you are going to have to be vaccinated against COVID-19, or at the least, if you choose not to do that, you will have to be tested for for once a week. So there will be constant testing if you choose not to get vaccinated. In addition, if you're not vaccinated, you will also be subject to other mitigation requirements beyond just the once a week testing. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this unreasonable? Is it unreasonable to say, and I, I want to move us again outside the healthcare area, because I think healthcare is, is arguably a different consideration. But let's say you are that standard, you're the, the standard bureaucrat. You work for a government entity, whether it's the city of Milwaukee or Milwaukee County or the state of Wisconsin, or, you know, you're, you work for the IRS and you're one of the people that sit there and you, you know, the, you answer the phones. All right. Is it reasonable for your employer, in this case, because you're a public employee, is it reasonable for your employer to require you to get vaccinated or else have to submit to all these different protocols, which they're very, very clear. They want to make the protocols unpleasant, so it's an inducement to try to get you vaccinated. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you believe an employer has the right to essentially force you to get vaccinated outside of the healthcare field? 855-616-1620, we discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Now, there are there are variables. A number of people are texting me. How does this work? Well, it it depends. For example, my understanding is the Biden proposal is going to say to all federal workers and all federal contractors that you must get a vaccination and prove it or alternatively submit to testing on a weekly basis and other mitigation efforts. I do not know what that means, but you know it's going to be something onerous. Um, that's similar to what they're doing in um, New York City. In San Francisco, they're, they're talking about for public employees, they're talking about mandating vaccines with, with no opt-out thing. You, you can't, you don't have a choice. You just, you, you've got to get tested unless you've got a medical excuse or I presume a religious reason, you're, you're done. You, you can't say, okay, I'm willing to subject myself to the mitigation measures and the, uh, the testing. You, you have, you have no choice. Our number, 855-616-1620. Is this going too far? Now, right now we're talking about government employees, but is that too far? Is that too much of a mandate? I think there's a number of private employers who are going to be wrestling with exactly the same thing. The idea that if you want to come back to work, you're going to have to get vaccinated or agree to do this other stuff. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Sam in Milwaukee. Sam, you're first. Good afternoon. Yes, I have a daughter-in-law that works in uh, downtown Milwaukee in the government. And her doctor, she's pregnant, her doctor told her absolutely not to get the vaccine. So if my doctor tells me that I don't need one, then why should I have to be mandated to get one or and or subject to testing once a week? Mm-hmm. Well, be- You know, people are going to, 
lose good employees. Well, yes, well, I, I think all that's true. Jobs and companies, you oh, know. Okay, let me let me let me argue the other side for you, and then then let's let's talk about it. Okay, the mm-hmm. the response that people would make is. All right. If, if you don't, we're not we're not forcing you to get the vaccine. We're encouraging you to do it. But if because of your situation, you're you're thinking about getting pregnant or, or whatever, you don't want to do it. That's fine. But then then we want to we want to make you do all sorts of added testing because we want to make sure that you're not sick when you come to work and we want to protect our other employees. Is Is that a valid point or no in your mind? Yes, it's a valid point, but if somebody is sick, they're going to stay home. You would hope, yeah. And if the vaccine is supposed to be so good, then it should be protecting these people, right? Yes, yes, yes. And then we should be okay. Um, You know, my dad got his shot. I did not get mine. And if I am sick, I'm not going to go around him or I'm not going to go to work. Right. But there are people out there that will do that. But unfortunately, we have to pay the price, the ones that don't want right. to stay home and go to work sick. Sam, I'm, 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 I'm curious. Why, why have you decided not to get the vaccine? And I ask that honestly. I'm just curious. I'm not, I never got the flu shot, and I just feel I'm not at that age where I really need it. Okay. And God's going to be in everybody's hands around the whole world. If it's your time to go, it's your time to go. Okay. Are you, Um, I mean, I guess, are you worried? Are you, are you worried that there's going to be some, I don't know, problem with the the vaccine that it's going to make you, you sick or are you, you do you think it doesn't work or I'm do you have a problem with the vaccine? Okay. Well, I don't take the flu shot, you okay. know, and my parents always say you should get the flu shot. You you know, you should get it. It'll help you, you know, but I don't feel like I really need it because if I get the common colds and there is years ago that I did get the flu and I was down for a week, mm-hmm. but then you stay home and you go to the doctor and get Tamiflu or whatever you do get for the flu, you know, to get rid of it. But I take my vitamins and, you know, I'm pretty healthy. And I've known people that have been on a ventilator and they've been healthy, too. So, I mean, okay. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm right. no, I got kind it. Okay. in between. I really don't feel I need it, but, okay. you know. No, no, thanks. No, I, I just, I, 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 I'm, I'm asking because, like I say, I mean, I, I'm not. See, I think you can be pro-vaccine, and I am pro-vaccine, although uh, it, I just I think as I've been saying for the last day or two I, I think the CDC really needs to get its act together and explain you know what what's what's going on and why they keep changing their their recommendations and I I think they are flip flopping some people disagree with that assessment but I, I'm I'm pro vaccine I encourage people to get it I got it and I, I have no I, I had no adverse reactions a, at all and I. Quite candidly, I, I believe in statistics and stuff, and I feel as a result of getting this, I'm, I is it does it mean I can't get COVID again? No, but I, I feel pretty comfortable that I am protected by that. I believe what I've been told with the vaccines working, but I think you can be pro-vaccine and not necessarily be and still be anti-mandatory vaccination. And and 
Now, this is different because this isn't the government going and saying, Sam, the government is ordering you to get vaccinated. This is employers saying as a condition of your employment, you've got to get vaccinated or you have to have the 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 extra testing to me. That's I guess. And I know you're going to disagree with me on this to an extent. I think that I don't think an employer should be able to say you out, we're outside of the healthcare field. We're, we're just we're just talking about let's let's put the healthcare thing aside for a second. I don't think the employer should have a right to say you have to get vaccinated. I do think it is reasonable though to say that look, you know, if you're not going to get vaccinated, we are going to expect you to do added testing. You know, we're 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 going to you know, require you to have this test once a week. And if if that's a way of just getting you to say to heck with it, I'm going to get it, I, that, that's fine. I, It's not taking your job away. I think that that's an actually kind of a reasonable compromise. If you decide that you're not going to get vaccinated, well, then you have to recognize that you are more likely to get sick. And so that we'll, we'll have some added testing. I think that's actually a reasonable middle ground. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Pat on the east side. Pat, you're on WTMJ. Uh, Mr. Wagner, I think you, you do a disservice when you let people like that woman ramble on vacuously with her uh, uh, unreasoning. Um, the, we're at war with this vaccine, and people are playing with fire uh, when refusing for egocentric reasons to do the right and reasonable well, thing. Well, it's not. Now, what, why do you say egocentric? I mean, the lady, what she said is she said her daughter, who is is of childbearing age. Uh, wait, no, let's, wait, let's wait. She said her daughter, okay. who is of childbearing age, goes to her doctor, and her doctor said, look, if you're thinking about having a kid sometime soon, I don't think you should get vaccinated. Now, that, that's, that doesn't that strike me as being... Oh, but but that that's that's that's, that's, that's the example she gave. The overwhelming majority of doctors and scientists they get the vaccine. Oh, okay, but but now she said it's a woman of childbearing age. So I'm, I'm just saying that you you said it's egocentric reasons. That doesn't strike me as being egocentric. It, if that's what her doctor is but suggesting, the woman herself is not childbearing. Right. I I think that the woman had really no good reason whatsoever. Uh, if if people took the same attitude in 1950s. Where would we be with polio? We'd have a whole lot more crippled people in this society. Mm-hmm. Where would be in World War II if the English individually said, well, you know, I don't want to participate in the blackout. Or if people refused to participate in America uh, on gas rationing and, and steel, uh, uh, reclaiming and, and recycling of steel during World War II. Where would we be? This country needs to wake up. We, the selfishness and egocentric uh, non-thinking has got to stop. We have only 50% of our population vaccinated. We're playing with fire. And it's time you and others sound the alarm. Do you know about your guy, uh, your fellow radio yakker? Wait, 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 wait. All right. That, that, all right wait. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to let you kind of ramble on there as well. But no, we're, we're fellow radio yakker. And look... Are we at war? What what is this? Is is COVID the equivalent of of polio? Well, I I I don't know. the The truth is that lots, the vast majority of people, and I'm trying not to downplay the significance of COVID. I got a vaccine. I had COVID. I recovered. Okay. I understand there's people who had COVID that had less, that had a lot more problems than I did. I'm not sure that comparing 
COVID to polio is the best example because the, the truth of the matter is the vast majority of people who get COVID, and I don't want anybody to get COVID, but the vast majority of people who get COVID recover and, and don't have long-term symptoms. But that's not to say that anybody should get it. I just, I just think that sometimes the, these parallels kind of break down because I just like COVID is not the flu. I'm not sure COVID is exactly like polio, but, but nevertheless, I understand that people feel passionate about this, but at the same time, do you have a right to make your own sort of choices? And for all those people that are out there that have decided we're we're not going to do it. And again, it doesn't I understand there's people who want to view this in political terms and want to see this as Republicans and Democrats, but who just said if if you look at, at the the groups that that are choosing not to do it as a large number it's it's young people people under the age of 30 who do not feel that you know covid who don't don't feel that even if they get covid it's going to be that big a deal now, i'm not saying that that's a rational b- b- view but statistically it is true that if you're 28 years old the average 28 year old you're less likely to have severe complications than if you're a 78 year old with underlying conditions but but it's people in age groups for whatever reasons it's members uh, of certain minority populations particularly in urban areas and i don't know if it's that they don't trust the government or or whatever but you know i don't know that it's fair to say it's egocentric and you're selfish. There's all sorts of reasons that people have for not doing it. The fundamental question is, can an employer force you to do it? I actually think what the government's doing is, I, I think it's a reasonable compromise. We want you to do it. We're encouraging you to do it. If you don't do it, you can still keep your job. You just have to recognize that there's going to be added testing. I think that's candidly a reasonable middle ground on this issue. Not saying you've got to do it, but just understanding that if you don't do it, well, you know, all right, then, then you're going to have to go in for that weekly test. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So Mike Spaulding, should yes. we tease our, our friend Nick, who did the sports cat, who's our executive producer for for um, the, the the Bucks pick because he's like they said that he says they had pick number thirty one in the the first round and and I, I frequently pe- people will feel compelled to text in and, and correct me for things that I I think are kind of like minor stuff but actually the Bucks don't have a pick in the first round there's only thirty teams in the NBA draft and they have the first pick in the second round they don't even have a first pick. 31st overall, right? 31st yeah. overall, right. They got it from uh, Houston. So that's in in one of the various trades that they end up made over the years. They don't even have a, a pick in the first round. But um, but yes, I, I do agree with the basic premise there that it's, I, it, it's not like anybody's watching to see if they're going to get a lottery pick or anything like that. Yeah, no, once you kind of get down to the 20s and 30s in the NBA, it's it gets kind of bleak there. You know, well, once you're out of the lottery. Well, at the same time, well, y- yes, I, I guess, except for the fact that you're still, if you end up getting, if you end up getting drafted, you know, it's you know, like being picked in the NBA draft. Even if you're picked at number thirty-one, you've still been picked in the oh, NBA absolutely. draft. Oh, absolutely. Right. If I was a player, not not very many guys. You know, it's not like baseball where you go twenty rounds or whatever. It's two rounds, and you right. got to be one of the best. There, there's actually one of the interesting things is there's a a player who played for Nicolay High School who's the, the thinks going to be drafted like in the somewhere between uh, pick number two. And number 20, which would be very cool. Jalen Johnson, right? Yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah. So that's 
Right. You played for Duke for, for part of a year and stuff. But yeah, that's, um, and the predictions are that he's going to go somewhere between 10 and 20, which is very cool. As long as we're talking about, as long as we're talking about sports, we, in the last segment, we were talking about employers. And of course, Mike's newscast was focusing on, you know, President Biden is trying to force federal employees to get vaccinated. And the way he is trying to do that is by requiring Two million federal employees and all the contractors, which might even be a larger number, they have to be either vaccinated or they have to go through various COVID protocols, including being tested once a week and other mitigation measures, kind of like, I, which I assume means wearing a mask everywhere and, and other things as well. And, and let, let's be honest, it's what they want to do is they want to make it so unpleasant to go through the, the these, this process that you're going to make the decision to get vaccinated. So, and I understand all that. At the same time, I think it's a reasonable compromise. It's not saying that, okay, you, you have to do this, but you are saying, look, if you don't do this, you know, be be prepared that there, there's going to be some stuff and it's going to be sort of a pain. Interestingly, the NFL, the, the NFL is in the same situation. The NFL has made it very clear that they want the players to be vaccinated. And um, there's a story, apparently 85% of NFL players have reportedly received at least one dose of the vaccine, but that leaves, you know, 15% of the players. Ryan Tannehill, who is the quarterback for the Tennessee Titans, he, he's out now. He says, um, I'm in the process, I'm just looking at the story, I'm in the process of being vaccinated. He said, I didn't want to get it. But the NFL kind of made clear what they want to happen. If you don't fall in line, they're going to make your life miserable with all the protocols, including wearing masks, travel restrictions, potentially being forced to forfeit a game and a paycheck if an outbreak occurs among unvaccinated players. He says, I wouldn't have gotten the vaccine without the protocols they're enforcing on us. Tannehill says, I think it's a personal decision for everyone. Everyone has to make the best decision for them and their families. That's kind of the mindset. But they are trying to force your hand and they ultimately have forced a lot of hands by the protocol so that's that's what the nfl is doing i think that's what a lot of private employers are doing as well all right let's switch gears the story is the revolt of the unwoke now for years and years on this program i have referred to a subset of people that I call the politically correct and the perpetually offended. You know, these these are the folks that wake up on a daily basis looking to find someone who will knock that chip off their shoulder. You know, if, if there's not something that they are legitimately outraged about, they will scour the Internet trying to find that thing that they are outraged about that they can then go on Facebook or go on Twitter and try to create an issue uh, about it. And in many cases, I'm not sure they're like even legitimately outraged about it, but it's kind of like this is the outrage du jour. I mean, you've seen it. Madison, the controversy over the Abraham Lincoln statue on, on Bascom Hill. You've got some people who are just offended by Abraham Lincoln because, well, you know, he wasn't really as committed to the the. Uh, cause of freedom of slavery as, as he pretends to be. So, so we've got to, we've got to try to get rid of the Abraham Lincoln statue. Yeah, things, things like that. And for the longest time, at least especially the last couple of years, the, the woke 
have, have sort of taken over. And we've seen this in uh, the change of names of mascots. And you've seen it all across American life that the idea is, okay, if you are not woke, get out of the way. Because what we're going to do is we're going to start, all right, we're going to roll over you. And if you're, if you don't agree with these various ideas and our particular type of wokeness, well, that means that you're a sexist. It means that you're a homophobe. It means that you're racist, whatever. And so, you know, we're, we're going to denounce you. We're going to, we're going to roll over you. And you've seen this in many areas. One of the examples of this is in San Francisco, which is, of course, a bastion of, of wokeness. You had the, the school board that decided we have to get rid of the names of 44 different public schools because they they honor people who are not worthy of being honored. Um, Abraham Lincoln High School, we can't have Abraham Lincoln High School. George Washington High School, we can't have George Washington High School. James Madison High School, we can't have that. And it goes on and on and on. We've got an elementary school named after Diane Feinstein. We can't have that because when Diane Feinstein was the mayor of San Francisco, she wasn't sufficiently progressive on a particular type of issue. So we can't have this. And so the school board and ends up voting to change all these these names. Well, what happens is the public starts to push back on this. And ultimately, the the school board, in the face of all this pushback, what happens is they they back off. They say, okay, well, we won't rename stuff now. We'll, We'll put this aside because we're dealing with COVID and maybe we've got more important things to figure out, like how we're going to get kids back to school. So we're going to put this aside. But the the premise is... They put it aside not because they didn't want to change the names of the school. They put it aside because people in the community, even a very liberal community like San Francisco, thought that they were going too far, that there were limits as to how far wokeness can go. And this you know, renaming uh, of schools and things like that, that was a bridge too far. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I wonder where we are in, in 2021 as we move forward. Is there going to be a wokeness backlash are, are people that have watched over the last couple years and watched some of the transitions and some of the changes and this idea that, well, if you don't agree with this or you don't agree with that, you don't think we should take down the mural of George Washington because, don't you know, George Washington owned slaves. And how dare we name anything after George Washington? For the longest time, the people who would thought think that that's, that's just crazy. You know, you, you can't whitewash your history. And if George Washington was a complex and maybe in some cases a flawed guy, well, okay, he was still the father of our country. You can't erase him. I think there's starting to be a, a backlash among people to the, this, this constant pushing of the woke ideas. You saw this with the defund the police movement for the longest, you know, for the first several months after the George Floyd incident, it was like, okay, the cops are all evil. We, we have to, we have to take money away from them. All right. Well, we, we take $16 million away from the Oakland police department and, um, Former U.S. Senator Barbara Boxer gets mugged at 1.15 in the afternoon, and she's one of many people that ended up getting mugged. All right, is the era of wokeness coming to an end? 855-616-1620, we discuss.
This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's an interesting text, Jeff. In my opinion, there's going to be a huge wokeness backlash, and it's going to be seen in the midterms next year. Either people will not show up on the left side of the aisle because they're fed up with their party, or many people will opt to switch to the other side because the woke crowd is going too far. Well, I, I don't know, but I think there, there, there might be something to that. Um, and it, it's not it's not just politics, although I, I think – in, in you, Look, I've been around long enough to have seen this on both sides, that a party wins an election and then takes it for a mandate that doesn't really exist. So they try to cram stuff through, and, and there ends up being a, a backlash to it. You, you saw it perhaps in 1994 after the Republican Revolution and the contract with America, and then there was a backlash, and you know Bill Clinton gets reelected handily in 1996. You've certainly seen that. You, you saw it with Barack Obama his first two years where you you had Obamacare and things like that, and then what happens is it's it's just it's a debacle for Democrats in the in the midterms. Now I don't know whether that's going to play out because every election is different and every dynamic is different. But when it comes to these social issues, I think that there's a lot of people out there who are starting to re- respond to the the, the unwokeness and say, look, this this is this stuff is going too far. There's a, there's an example. L.A. Times has a big story today, again, from San Francisco. In San Francisco, there's a high school. It's called George Washington High School. In George Washington High School, there is a giant mural depicting the life and times of George Washington. The mural was painted, uh, the mural goes back to, I think, 1936. It, It was painted by... A, a very famous artist dur- during the New Deal, his name is Victor Arnatov, and it, it's a 16,000-square-foot art installation. It's 13 panels, and it, it, it's a classic sort of thing, and it runs down the, the course of the stairway, and, it, and it's huge. And look, and I'm, I'm not saying it's like the, you know, the Sistine Chapel or anything like that. But it, it's been around for, you know, going on 90 years. And it's, it's an historical depiction of the life of George Washington. And George Washington was a complex and flawed man. And in, in one of the murals, there's a, there's a depiction of, uh, George Washington was a, and quote unquote Indian fighter. And there, there's a picture of, of, of the dead body of a Native American. And in, in other, another part of the mural shows a, a couple slaves. And so the idea is, well, because it, it, this historical, this historical mural depicts uh, again, slaves and and don't you know George Washington? You know, owned slaves at one point in time. Well, we we have to get rid of it. And the school board in San Francisco w- went along with it. They voted and said, okay, we're we're going to get rid of this. We are going to get rid of this mural that's been around since 1936 and was painted by this famous artist. Because heaven forbid that anybody should look at this mural and feel uncomfortable because it depicts George Washington and it depicts slaves. Well, interestingly enough, even in the height of wokeness, you know, the location where, you know, it, you know, it, you got to be woke to survive. It's um, San Francisco. You had a number of parents 
and a number of people in the community that said, look, you can't whitewash history. This mural's been up since 1936. It is a famous piece of art with huge historical significance by a, a significant artist. We can't just destroy it. We can't whitewash this thing. And, and they rose up. They filed a lawsuit. And, and actually, a, a judge yesterday issued a ruling saying, you know, the, the mural stays for the time being because it, it would vi- invite to take it down would violate various environmental rules. Think about that. And so if they're going to do it, they've got to restart the whole process. And I think the hope is that the school board decides to just kind of let well enough alone. They've dug themselves a hole and just let's climb out, fill in the hole and move on. But again, you've got this whole issue that's there. It was a backlash, even in very, very progressive San Francisco, who thought people had, had gone too far. I think you're starting to see this. The best example, uh, again, continues to be the defund the police movement. But I think you're starting to see it on other levels as well, where people of goodwill who recognize that, okay, you know, it, it's maybe maybe we've swung too far in the position of, you know, maybe we haven't been as politically correct as we should have been over the years. But the last couple of years have shown a dramatic pendulum swing. And I think maybe that pendulum is getting ready to, you know, swing back. Um, now, how far it swings back, we will see. Dear heavens, I hope the woke culture gets rolled over and soon. As you said, we can't erase or whitewash our history. Have we not learned that when we don't learn from history, it gets repeated? Um, yeah, I think there there is th- this element of that. So whether it's trying to take books out of schools or take the name George Washington off of schools or do away with uh, Abraham Lincoln memorials, monuments to Abraham Lincoln, whenever people push that, I think the reaction from the vast, maybe silent majority is, no, this is going too far. And just because you're a loud voice on one side of the issue doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you you get to have your way. All right. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.